you so much for joining us this week at Zion City Church with teachings from Pastor Andrew Rael. We believe that God still speaks through His Word and His people. So right now, lean in and listen to the Holy Spirit. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and brings you into a deeper love and worship of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Zion City Church. as a church before um, kind of all the chaos started and we've been journeying through the Lord's prayer and really trying to learn from Jesus as he teaches his disciples to then teach us how it is that we pray what is prayer and how we and how we, it is that we pray now this year has been absolutely crazy it feels like it feels like I don't know if it feels like the same way for you guys, but for me certainly this year seems like I have no idea what notification is going to come next on my phone. And if I'm completely honest, there comes a little bit of like emotional exhaustion, right? We've had not just COVID-19, but racial tensions, police brutality, protests, riots, politics, killer hornets, hurricanes, fires, explosions, financial collapse, deaths, and not to mention an upcoming election, right? And it just seems as if the waves keep coming. It feels like we're in a heavyweight fight with Mike Tyson and our hands are behind our back a little bit, right? And it kind of feels like what on earth could come next? It's like 2020 is getting more and more creative as time goes on. But what doesn't concern me is the crises that come because look, we're resilient. And most importantly of all, God is faithful to keep his church. Throughout all of time and all of history, moments like these have always happened where the people of God come together and they gather. No matter what circumstances, no matter what trials, no matter what is happening in our world, the church is resilient. What concerns me the most is not the crises that we're in, those, those, though those are real and heartbreaking. What concerns me the most is the conversations and the heart postures that I hear coming from people who claim to follow Jesus. The very people who are called to embody hope to the world are the first in line when it comes to complaining, are the first in line when it comes to apathy, and are the first in line when it comes to cynicism. Right now, the world is looking for embodied hope, and the church has surrendered her mantle to instead complain and fall asleep into apathy. What breaks my heart is it seems that we have forgotten the one whom we follow, the one who we trust in. Now again, this is in no way, shape, or form trying to make light of the very real and heartbreaking moment that we are in. But my endeavor is to make much of the one and who has the power to change everything. Brothers and sisters, right now is not a moment wasted. Right now is not a moment surrendered, and right now is a moment where God is looking to break in and do what only he can do. Do not be deceived. Do not be disillusioned. This moment here and now that you and I preside in is an invitation. It is an invitation from God to partner with him in the healing of our world. 
We can see this as an obstacle for the church, or we can see this as an opportunity for God's kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. It's time for the church to take up her mantle of authority and step into this moment and begin to cry out for the presence of God to break in. Right now is the moment for our church to step into the great task of standing in the gap for our families, for our city, and for our church. Now I know it can feel, although at times you feel powerless, like how do we stop killer hornets, right? How do we stop hurricanes? How do we stop a disease that's invisible? And we look at the current state of the world and we ask, what on earth can I do? But brothers and sisters, if you could only see the power that resides in prayer, if you could only see the power of the one in whom it is that you pray to, for followers of Jesus, prayer isn't our last-ditch effort, okay? It's not when everything else fails and we've tried everything that we can, it's like, well, we better pray, right? It's not the Hail Mary, it's not the close the eyes, throw the ball, and just hope it's in the end zone. For followers of Jesus, prayer is a source of power, Prayer is what moves the hand and heart of God to break into a moment with his presence and his power. Second Chronicles 16.9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You know what this verse is saying? That God is actively looking for people who are actively looking for him. That God is constantly searching the earth saying, who is looking to me to show up because it's for them that I want to show myself strong. That God is anticipating and waiting for the moment that people would look to him that he would be able to intervene. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not something we do as just a therapeutic thing to make us feel better about the circumstances of life. Prayer is how things change. It's how we petition the heart of God and how we petition his hand to move. I love what Richard Foster says. He says this, individuals are living lives of quiet desperation without purpose or future. And we can make a difference if we learn to pray on their behalf. If we step up into what God has called us to do, we are not victims of the circumstance. We are, we are players in this game, and we are movers and shakers in the story that God is writing for our city, for our family, for our friends, and the people that we love most. You see, in all this conversation about what's happening in the world, we're worried about who's going to get into office. We're worried about what disease is going to come next. We're worried about what creature is going to crawl out of the ground. I have $20 on Godzilla at any given moment, right? But the conversation that we're not having is what is God doing? And brothers and sisters, listen, that's even the wrong question. What is God doing? God is already doing something. The question is, are you just going to partner with it? Are you just going to be a part of it? Because God's already looking. God's already searching. God's already waiting for a people to cry out to him so that he can move on their behalf. He's already moving. The only question is, are you in? Are you in for what God wants to do in our city? Are you in for what God wants to do in your family? Are you in for what God wants to do in your workplace? Are you in for what God wants to do through you? Because I'm telling you, he has dreams. He has dreams about the things that he wants to do with you. And so as this pertains to our teaching series, we've been learning from Jesus how it is to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples the, what's been known as the Lord's Prayer. 
And the sentence in that is he teaches the disciples to pray, speaking to God, your kingdom come. Now, I know that it's easy around religious language for, for things to lose its power or for things to lose its clarity. But when we pray your kingdom come, this is not just sweet pleasantries to the Father's ear, right? It's not just words and phrases God likes to hear. It is a cry from the heart for God's presence and power to manifest in our world. When we cry your kingdom come, we are, we are praying in accordance with heaven's heart that God's rule and reign would be here on earth as it is in heaven. As every single person is reeling over the aches and pains of life here on earth in 2020, brothers and sisters, something is being revealed. What's happening right here and right now is our trust structures are being tested. You see, we live in the world and the day and age where we are deceived by the lie of progress. What's the lie of progress? That if we only have more, if we only do more, if we only get farther, then one day we'll be happy, right? If we only get better iPhones with better Wi-Fi and better technology, then we'll feel more connected than ever. If you get that Amazon account and you shop and you shop and you shop and you fill your home and your closet with all the things you've ever, then it'll be when you get happy. If you have relational connection after relational connection on apps and sliding in DMs and all those different things, then you'll be happy. And that's the lie of progress. It tells you that it's always on the other side of something more. But what we are seeing here now is all of that was a lie, right? We were told technology was going to be the best thing in the world. And then when all of us were told to stay at home and only use technology, we were miserable. The one thing we longed for was just to see another human being, right? Just to talk to my barista again, right? Whatever it was, we longed for human connection. You see, what we're looking for is not something more beyond the, the bounds of technology on the, other, on the other side of our Amazon shopping cart. What we are longing for is the kingdom of God. You see, every single one of us longs for justice, peace, prosperity, redemption. But what we are trying to do as a society is we're trying to get the fruits of the kingdom while ignoring the king. We're trying to get all the good things that God could give to us without having any of him. How is that working out for us? Do we feel like we're... You know, 2,020 years into this experiment, do we feel like we're doing pretty good right now? No, what's happening is God is revealing these trust structures are nothing we could put our hope into. That, that financial security, that a political party, that whatever it is that you fill in the blank with, they cannot be trusted with your life. And what's happening is a moment of disruption where God is waking us from the illusion of, com of comfort and calling us to something deeper. Each one of us this year was called to reconcile with the fact that we're fragile. Now before all of this, masks and all that stuff seemed like a virtual reality thing or sci-fi, something in the future. But what it has taught us is that we're fragile human beings. And that at any given moment, all sorts of things that are outside of control can change for us. And all these things that we put our trust into seem to fall flat. And I believe God is using this as an opportunity to shake us and to wake us. And so when we pray things like your kingdom come, we're asking God to actively rule and reign here on earth. 
Here is the theology behind this idea. There are always two kingdoms at play. There's the kingdom of darkness or evil and the kingdom of God. And these are always at odds with one another, wrestling over lives and cities and circumstances. And when we pray your kingdom come, we are actively praying against the works of darkness and the works of evil when we're actively asking God to step into our world. When we pray your kingdom come, we're actually praying for what the world needs the most of. What we do not need the most of is more technology, more advancements, more politicians. What we need more of is the presence of God. When we pray your kingdom come, we are aligning our world with the reality of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is anywhere where God rules and reigns. Now, he rules and reigns here on earth in part, but not yet in whole, until all of his enemies are destroyed. And so until then, we wrestle in this moment, we wrestle in this time of these two kingdoms colliding. And we are at a crucial moment in the history of our world. How we, the church, choose to respond in this moment will forever shape the future of the generations of the people who will come behind us. Brothers and sisters, do not be mistaken. There is a war taking place between these two kingdoms. And how we choose to participate or choose to forfeit that has great implications for our family, our church, and our city. Now, I want with you to jump with me to a scene in the life of the church in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 12. And this is where we're going to see intercession in action. It says this in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this was met with the approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. So Jesus has died and risen again and has commissioned his church to go forward and to proclaim this message that he's alive to the rest of the world. And in doing so, they make enemies immediately, one of those enemies being the Jews. Now, the Jews were, took part in the crucifixion of Jesus and were actively working against this message of the church that Jesus is the Messiah. And so Herod was a ruler, um, uh, was a ruler over that place. And so the Jews and Herod were working together to try and take down the church, Herod doing it for political gain, where if he just kills all these Christians, then he'll make good with the Jews and get to keep another term and another, uh, another season of serving in a, in, a, in a king's capacity. And the Jews doing it to squash out the sect of Christians that have risen up against them. And so in doing so, he kills one of the apostles, James, the brother of John, has him murdered, and the Jews are excited about it. So he sees this as an opportunity. Now, I've got James. Now I want to get Peter, one of the leaders in the church. So he has Peter arrested, and his Peter is, is set to have trial there shortly. Now, Peter and James were crucial leaders in the church. And right here, the church's back is against the wall. Its pivotal leaders of the movement have been either killed or arrested, and they seem to be a people without a place to go, a people to lead them, and are kind of in a moment of crisis. Now, they could see this as an opportunity to just pack up their toys and go home. Well, that didn't work and move on to something else. But instead, the church sees this as an opportunity to then lean into prayer. You see, what we see here is the kingdom of darkness actively working against what God is trying to establish in his good world. 
Now, though it looks like kings and political powers and religious leaders, what's really behind the scenes here is an enemy and his workers trying to thwart what God is trying to do. Jesus speaks of these kingdom manifestos that their hearts desire in John 10 when he says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Here are the two different kingdom paradigms. The kingdom of darkness, steal, kill, destroy. The kingdom of God, give life and life to the full. These are the two uh, options at play here, and you see this affecting the church. But this moment here is just a microcosm of what's happening at a meta level, that right now there are powers at play that are actively working against what God is trying to do. Church, we cannot be deceived. We have to understand that there's a very real enemy actively working to destroy the people of God and stop the work that God is wanting to do. Now listen, his greatest tool is not famine. It's not disease. It's not wars or corrupt governments. It is apathy. You see, all of those things, the church has been resilient and pushed through. No matter the war, the disease, or the crisis, the church has pushed through. But if he can get the church to believe they don't play a part, he wins. You see, anything that the church puts its hands to, God will bless and put favor on because it's advancing his kingdom. But if he can get us to just sit on our hands and settle into apathy, he has nothing to worry about. And this is what is so concerning to me right now. As I see followers of Jesus forfeit their spiritual authority in prayer and settle into apathy. This is just the way that things are. This is just the way that it's always going to be. And settle for a life less than what God has dreamed for our city. You see, when God's people forfeit their destiny on the altar of apathy, the enemy rejoices. Brothers and sisters, we are in a moment that will shape the future by what we choose to do. You see, we can, we can bring forth our most simple effort. And in the hands of God, that becomes something that changes cities. Jesus said, if we have the faith of a mustard seed, which you've seen one, they're wicked small. He says... It can move mountains. Jesus says, with man, not all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. We don't have to bring much. We could bring our simple, Lord Jesus, help, right? And God moves, and he responds, and he answers. We don't have to have eloquent prayers. We don't have to have 17 hours continuous of prayer, though that would be good, right? We just need to bring forth what we have. We must just only pray what we have, what we got, and God will take that. And, and, and prayer enters into uh, and taps into his divine power, and he puts his hand on it, and it changes. What, what comes out to us is just a few simple sentences of desperation, and the hands of God becomes what changes the course of human history. All we must simply do is pray. You see, we've been having a lot of conversations around race and racial divides, and we've been reflecting back on the civil rights movement. And we've been having all these conversations around justice and change and reform. But one of the key things that was established in the civil rights movement that has been forgotten by our generations here today is a conversation about the Lord. Coretta Scott King, uh, Michael, Martin, Luther King's, Martin, Luther, Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife, said that the source of their strength in the midst of the movement 
was not the strength of their policies, was not the effectiveness of their walks, but it was their source and the power of prayer. That every single thing that they did was bathed in prayer. That even the podiums that, that Martin Luther King Jr. would speak from were rooted in the fact of God-given identity and purpose. It was all rooted in creation order. It was all rooted in the ethics of the scriptures. It was all rooted in God. But again, we're trying to get the fruits of the kingdom, racial justice, without the king. And it's not paying off. We are at a crucial moment, church, and we must begin to pray. How does the early church respond? Check out verse 5. It says this. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. We see the church's response was not to pack their toys and to go home and to call it quits, but instead was to stand in the gap for Peter through intercession. To intercede, I know, is a church word, but it essentially means to stand in the gap in prayer between God's heart and all reality until no gap remains. Intercession is to stand in the gap in prayer between God's heart and our reality until no gap remains. The church decided that they would not stop praying until Peter was free and they would commit to that with their whole heart. They didn't pray for it if they felt like it, if the worship was good, if the building was cool, right? They prayed earnestly because this was something they wanted to see. So let's talk about this gap between God's heart and our reality. Our reality right now is things are pretty broken. But this is not God's heart. God's heart is that every person in our city would experience the wonder of his love. It's God's heart that our city would be healed of domestic violence. It's God's heart that people would be free from addictions to sex, drugs, money, status, and technology. It's God's heart that, that people are delivered from the sin of racism, sexism, nationalism, and consumerism. It's God's heart that our community would be shaped by the message of Jesus and that his presence would fill every square inch. It is God's heart to see his presence change everything. And it is our responsibility to pray that future into existence. I love what Walter Wink says. He says this, Intercessory prayer is the spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. And I love that last sentence. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. That as followers of Jesus, we see the dreams that God has for the city, for people to be freed, for people to be set free from bondage and sin and shame, for brokenness to be healed. And God wants to see that come to pass. And we will bring that future to pass as we come to the place of prayer, believing the future into being. Look, guys. My deepest desire is that Zion City Church would be a place for his presence. Straight up, that's why our, our, our logo is his presence changes everything. Because look, I could give good talks. Jake could sing good worship. We could have cool events and a nice building. But that means nothing if he doesn't show up. If he doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. This is a TED Talk. That's a concert. And we're in a cool building, right? But when he shows up, everything changes. 
When God is in the room, things begin to shift. Things begin to move. People begin to get healed. Lives are changed. Hope is found all within Jesus. And that's our desire here, is for this place to be that. And for this place to be that, this place has to become a house of prayer. we got to be people who learn how to cry out. Look, we can't do it on our own. You've probably tried in a lot of areas of your life. How did it turn out, right? For me, not very good all of the time. We need to be a people who make this house a house of God's presence by making it a house of prayer. But do not be deceived. This is going to cost us something. I love what Richard Foster says. He says, the prayer of intercession requires something from us. It requires our heart. When we hear and see the news of our hearts, when we, when we hear and see the news and our hearts want to turn away from the pain and suffering, we see the prayer of intercession calls us to stay present to the pain and to pray for those who are suffering. What breaks my heart is now when we see crisis, when we see heartbreak, when we see tragedy, it's as simple as, well, that's sad, and we slide onto the next thing on Instagram, or we move to the next page of the paper or whatever it is. But as followers of Jesus, our heart needs to break for what breaks God's heart. We can no longer turn a blind eye to the real pain that's happening in our world because it's our call to intercede for that pain. It's our call to cry out for that pain. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm calling us to pray earnestly, to pray sincerely, and to pray with our whole heart. And look, it's not going to come easy because as you come into prayer, the first 30 seconds are solid, right? You're like, God, there's this, there's that, there's this. Now, we, what do we talk about, you know? It's hard. It's going to require focus and attention and to put your device away and to really lean in and to really devote yourself to things and begin to ask God to break your heart over things, to irreparably break your heart over things. So it's no longer a prayer of apathy of, Lord, just help, but your heart now breaks for when their heart breaks and you can cry out in sincerity with, with, with fervency. Now, let's see how the church responds here in the passage in Acts. So it says, that night... Verse 6, before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping two sold, with, uh, between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter, Peter followed him out of the prison and had no idea what the angel was doing, was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So let's not go into Bible study mode. Let's put ourselves in this. You're locked up in prison, right? There's two guards next to you who are chained to you, guys at the gate and then guys all the way out the door. Suddenly, you get like smashed in the side, and it's like, Psst, ah, let's go. You know, like, what? You know, and then you realize suddenly the chains are off of you. He's like, dude, get dressed. We got to go. Oh my gosh, okay, you know? So he starts getting dressed, and they start making their way out and just like sneaking past all these guards, freaking out. The Bible doesn't say how or why and in what way, but you'd be freaking out. So much so that it says Peter, who had followed Jesus, had seen this guy raise people from the dead and, and, and multiply food and heal lepers and all this stuff, was like, this is a dream. I'm freaking out right now. Like, I shouldn't have had that prison burrito so late or whatever, right? 
he doesn't even understand that it's happening until he's already outside and has walked a couple blocks and is like, this is real. I'm not dreaming. And so watch what happens next. So then Peter came to himself. He wakes up and says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping for, they were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized his Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and explained, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. So Peter is freaking out. It's the middle of the night. He's like, where am I going to go? He's like, oh, yeah, uh, John Mark's mom, Mary, is just down the street. So he goes, and he's like knocking on the door discreetly in the night, right? And then he's like, psst, it's Peter, you know? And so this girl, this servant girl, Rhoda, goes up to the door, and she hears it's Peter. She's like, it's Peter. She doesn't even open the door. She just freaks, right? She books it. Guys, it's Peter. It's like, be quiet. We're praying for Peter. Now's not the time, right? Like, no, it's Peter. And they're like, you're out of your mind. He's in prison. Don't you know? This is why we're praying, Rhoda, is so that he can get out of prison. And they're like, seriously, I just heard him at the door. He's out there. And they're like, horrible theology. Must be his angel, right? They're just like, and so finally, Peter keeps knocking. Like, it's cold out here. Like, they're going to come find me. Like, can someone open the door? And they finally open the door, and they see that it's Peter. And he begins to explain to them how their prayers were answered and how God had delivered them out. Here's what's funny about the passage. It was easier for Peter to get out of prison than it was for him to get into the church. And that's a sermon in itself. It was easy for him to sneak past guards, get dressed, chains fall off, all that stuff. But he had to stay knocking at the door for how long? Because believers were in disbelief that God could answer prayer. Do not be surprised when God begins to answer our prayers, brothers and sisters. And we need to pray kinds of prayers that God can't answer and then wait for him to answer those prayers. So that when we hear the door knock, we're not... You're out of your mind, or be quiet, we're praying, or it's his angel where we're saying, open that door, God has surely heard our cries. This is the type of church that we need to be, a type of church, a church who opens the door when God is knocking, who opens the door when opportunity is knocking, and brothers and sisters, the door is being knocked on right now. All throughout the scriptures, there are moments and times and space where God breaks in. When the church's back is against the wall, God loves to tear down that wall and show himself strong. And right now we find ourselves in that opportunity. I think about um, uh, Moses, who um, as he's leading the children of Israel, they're in this war and they're fighting the Amalekites. And Moses is interceding for the people as they're fighting. And as soon as Moses starts to get tired and his hands begin to fall, they begin to lose the battle. So two men come alongside and they hold his arms up as Moses is interceding and the Israelites get the victory. I think of Esther, who was, was put in a position of a queen. And there's a plot that has come out to have her people murdered in genocide. And so she begins to ask the people to pray and to fast as she goes to talk to the king to see about getting this reversed. Just stepping into the room without being invited by the king could cause her, the, her head. She could be killed right then and there. 
But she asks, asks the people to pray, and God intervenes in a powerful moment and saves a generation of people. The scriptures are littered with stories that when the church is back against the wall, the church prays, and God answers. Now what will we do? What will we do? Will we be a church who sits in apathy, rests in disbelief, and continually uh, promotes doubt? Or will we be a church who embodies hope, who takes our city's pain, our family's pain, the pain that we're expo exposed to as our own, and we take it to the throne of God? Will we be a church who makes this house a house of prayer? The ball is in our court. What will we do with it? Jesus' answer, my desire is that we would pray, your kingdom come. That we would be asking God here and now to break in. I think of no better way to start off opening this building than that simple cry, your kingdom come. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to close this service down. But the work is just beginning. Right here, right now, I'm going to ask you guys to take a step of boldness and take a step of faith. And right here, right now, we're going to intercede for our city. We're going to intercede for our families. We're going to intercede for our friends. And we're going to intercede on behalf of our church. Right here, right now, we're going to cry out to God and ask him to move here in our midst. I want you right now, as we get ready for worship, to be able to bring people into your mind. And I believe right now God's already doing that work of people he wants you to be praying for. I want you to think about our church, the people in this room sitting next to you, and how desperately we need one another. And I want you to pray for these people sitting next to you in these seats. And then I want to ask you to pray for our city. God has big dreams. Don't believe me, look around. You're all proof of it. That God has each and individually spoken and called to you to come here this morning, to hear this message, to hear from his word, to go out and to be his people. God's doing something. And we can be a part of it. And we need to be praying for it. So as we enter this song, last song of worship, I'm going to ask you to stand. And I'm going to ask you to cry out in prayer as we worship. Now you can do this in your heart and in your mind, but I want to challenge you. Let it be spoken with your mouth. Let it be declared to the Lord. Let it be spoken out verbally here amongst the body. And let's pray for these people. Let's pray for these circumstances. We don't want to be a church who just talks about things that Jesus did. We want to be a church who does the things that Jesus did, like praying like this. And I believe that even here and now, as we enter into this moment of faith and praying and crying out to God, God's going to answer our prayers. So would you stand with me? Jesus, we all come to you with all sorts of different things in our lives, God. All sorts of different pains and struggles and worries and anxieties. And here and now, Jesus, we leave them up to you, Lord. We lay them at your feet. We ask, God, that you would do what only you could do and answer these prayers, Lord. And you see and hear the cries of every individual heart, Lord. And you're the God who answers. The God who splits seas. You're the God who raises the dead. You're the God who heals broken things, God. You're the God who moves and speaks and breathes on a moment and everything changes. So here and now, Jesus, we invite you and your Holy Spirit to begin to move here in our midst. And as a church, Lord, we're going to cry out to you here and now as we worship. And we're going to lift these things to your hands, Lord, believing that you're going to do something about them. 
In Jesus' name, amen. To see all the new content coming from Zion City, follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook. And to partner with us financially, visit our website at zioncitychurch.net.